and welcome to Psychotherapy with Dr. Afia. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the relationship between our hair, our health, and our heritage. For my third season, I'm sitting on the couch with influential psychologists, and I'd love to invite you to listen in as we explore the significance of mental health, the important relationship between psychologists and our communities, why culturally informed wellness is important to us, and even some common myths about our work. In this episode, we will discuss depression. I'll be having a conversation with Dr. Benson G. Cook and Dr. Nathalie Mazel Johnson. Dr. Cook and Dr. Mazel Johnson are my colleagues at the University of the District of Columbia and are also co-authors with me on the second edition of the book entitled All About Depression. So let me tell you a little bit about this book. Basically, the general public is impacted by the consequences of depression, but most remain largely underinformed about symptom recognition and treatment possibilities, other than medication. Furthermore, certain segments of the public believe that depression is relegated to particular racial or ethnic groups, and that some of us simply do not have to worry about it. However, this book will destroy these myths. So let's talk about this book all about depression. So thank you for my guests and co-authors for coming in and speaking with me today. And so I do want to start with Dr. Cook. Dr. Cook, how did you get interested in the topic of depression and feel motivated enough to write your first edition with your special colleague, Dr. Skylar Webb? How did this come up? Wow. (laughs) Okay. Uh, First, thank you for having me on this podcast. I'm really an admirer of your work, and I really appreciate having an opportunity to share my thoughts both with you and my colleague, Dr. Nathalie Mazel. I think that um, if I were to begin, I'd have to go back to my um, early um, clinical experience in grad school, where I was pretty much placed in my early training sessions with clients who were depressed. And I remember saying to my professor at the time, who was my supervisor, that I was having a real difficult time with dealing with depressed people because they made me sad. And he was like, oh, go with that. You know, see, see where that takes you. Mm-hmm. And I was really reluctant at first. But then a series of events began occurring in my family life. Um, I had a, a cousin who was like a brother since... I grew up with all sisters and mostly a matriarchal family. And I didn't know that that he was really depressed when I was in college, but by the time I got into graduate school, he had reached a point where he was so depressed that he committed suicide. Mm. And it really kind of brought home this whole question of what is it that we could have done to have helped him kind of work through, manage understand, resolve the issues around his depression that would have kept him on the planet with us. Well, not being able to answer that, I began to have other friends who suffer from depression. And so it raised the question even more such that I initially wanted to approach writing about it in 2001 after I'd finished uh, a book looking more at how to empower people. But didn't do it, interacted with several colleagues, and eventually um, an opportunity came to pull the book together with my colleague, Dr. Sky Webb. So 
The first edition was published in 2013. And at that time, I wasn't real sure what I wasn't really sure how to approach it other than as I began doing the research and doing um, op- or having opportunities to talk with people who were struggling with it both in uh, community um, s- centers and churches and schools was that it needed to be there needed to be information that could be available to the public that the public could understand. So it started off first like a flyer that everybody could understand, and the flyer turned into a brochure. Then the brochure turned into a pamphlet, and then the pamphlet eventually became the book. (laughs) And the goal was to write it such that anyone with at least a 10th grade education could understand it, and it could also be used as a textbook to educate those who would be going into the field of mental health as counselors or psychologists or licensed clinical social workers to understand the impact of depression. So the key piece was to provide a short story, to define what depression is, to talk about the treatments, and to add a piece that I did not see in any one book but in multiple resources, and that is to add this piece that looked at it from a cultural context, looked at it in the context of understanding um, spirituality and religiosity, looked at it in the context of understanding what are often referred to or were referred to at the time as alternative treatment approaches, which are now considered complementary treatment approaches, and to not just focus on what might be considered the regular population, but also those in the military, as my colleague himself was an officer in the Navy. And so as we begin pulling all that together, we wanted to put it in a book that was focused on the title All About Depression, covering every aspect. A caveat to the second edition was that um, I've always enjoyed collaborating with other scholars and adding their voice to the voice of both myself and Sky Webb. So in this second edition, it was expanded extensively by adding a neuropsychologist, Dr. Kimberly Bell, by adding someone that I consider to be a community clinical psychologist, Dr. Fia Mbalashaka, <laughs> by adding a licensed clinical social worker, um, Michelle Levere, by adding uh, an esteemed rehabilitation psychologist, Dr. Nathalie Mazel, and by adding a rehabilitation counselor psychology person, uh, Dr. William B. Talley, along with myself and Dr. Skylar Webb, who is an industrial organizational psychologist who has had extensive research and publications uh, with the Navy and the armed forces in general. So it grew into this larger um, document that could provide a more in-depth understanding of issues around how depression is defined, looking at it related to issues of suicide, um, and then beginning to expand into the biology of depression so that now 
I could begin to focus on areas that I had not discussed in publication before because I didn't have the publications at the time, but looking at the impact of epigenomics, looking at the impact of the role of other disorders that would have some similar influence on depression, and then, from the treatment perspective, adding the input of, as I said, um, Dr. Kimberly Bell, Dr. Fiambala Shaka, Professor Michelle Levere, uh, Dr. Nathalie Mizell and Dr. William B. Talley. And so I can get into the details of their pieces, but that really created a document that I think is a very good read for anyone who is interested. In fact, I got a, um, a text message today from someone who uh, is interested in, in an alternative approach because none of the other traditional treatment approaches have worked. So recommended the book, mm-hmm. recommended the page and with a chapter <laughs> in the page, and they're excited because it's providing them an opportunity to look at how they can live a more optimal life without considering um, that life is just not worth living anymore. Mm. Well, Dr. Cook, you really explain the history of this book, yeah. going from your early clients to a personal loss, and even thinking about the needs of current people in terms of negotiating, having a secure resource that acknowledges the complexity of depression, that it's not one way to understand it and not one, one way to treat it. Depression is definitely a hot topic in terms of, I was teaching my classes that depression is considered the common cold of mental health, that at some point in your life, you probably will experience symptoms of depression. So I am curious, Dr. MJ, they call her that on the streets, Dr. MJ (laughs) at UDC. I'm curious about your professional experiences with depression. So we heard Dr. Cook's evolution related to creating materials and information about the symptoms and treatments, but what has your experiences been, whether with working with students or clients or yes. just your perspective? Yes. Um, first, I want to say thank you for <laughs> having me on this particular podcast. I'm Dr. Cook. Thank you for the help, um, letting me be in this book, um, being part of this uh, project. It's been a, a lifelong experience. Um, I've worked with students and um, clients for the last 17 years. Mm. Um, how depression manifests in reference to the clients that I work with was mostly African-American women, children, and men, mm-hmm. but mostly African-American children and women. And it would manifest mostly through um, different stomach like problems or health really? problems. So mm-hmm. Headaches, stomach aches, can't sleep, ab- loss of appetite, increased appetite. Mm-hmm. Um, I, well, we wouldn't name it depression because people still had a stigma, mm-hmm. especially in eastern North Carolina in reference to well, I don't want to be considered depressed because people still have that um, notion you're going to be thrown in the hospital. Oh, and the really? Kids be, yes. Especially. Like you be committed. You're going to be committed. To, okay. okay. 24, you know, 72 hour hold, or I'm going to lose my job if somebody finds out if I go to counseling. So it was certain ways I had to pick up and ask people um, certain questions I had to ask to figure out, you know, how long were the symptoms um, manifested? Um, what have you been taking? You know, some people use alternative medicines mm-hmm. like. Marijuana. <laughs> that, that's some self-medication. Uh, yeah. Coca-Cola. I mean, <laughs> really. You know, people don't understand yeah. sugar sometimes is, uh, you know, uh, a medicine for some people mm-hmm. and food. So certain things I realized picking up, especially in eastern North Carolina, um, working with the, the 
the the population, depression manifested in different ways. Mm-hmm. And people would watch television. They always had televisions, but they wouldn't come out. They would isolate more. Or they would stop going to church. So certain things I would pick up on that I understood that was depression for that particular you know population I was working with. Um, working with my students, they're more... Um, open to going to counseling. Mm-hmm. And so we've mandated uh, that students go to counseling. Wait, wait, wait. All the students have to go to counseling Yes, here? at least three sessions. Wow. Before okay. they enter their uh, practical internship, before they enter their clinical experience. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, that's definitely pr- promoting wellness in mm-hmm. terms of being healthy healers and mm-hmm. helpers. But I didn't re- realize that that was a mandated yes. part of the program. It is now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You want to help others, you have to, yeah, you learn gotta, to help yourself. Yeah, you yeah. Help yourself. They, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's been an experience. You know, the classes that the students take it brings more um, awareness and more of uh, how they're feeling and things they have to deal with or they haven't dealt with. So I think that's very important in reference. Mm-hmm. And some students do. They also manifest um, different ways, um, depressive episodes. Mm. Um, it's been very interesting navigating. Um, what do you do with the student versus a client? Certain things you can say to a client that you can't say to a student. Mm-hmm. And um, how are you pushing them where they need to go? Is this a different, um, I think, realm that you go into? Yeah, you're really bringing up something interesting in terms of our role as mental health professionals that teach. Um, in terms of really balancing what interventions look yeah. like, you know, as a professor versus as a therapist. Yeah. But I do want to make sure that all of the listeners understand, well, what is depression? So we're talking about um, the evolution of the book or just even um, working with clients or students. But in your most basic definition possible, (laughs) maybe like a sentence long, (laughs) each of you, how would you define depression? Like if if you can really put it into as the simplest, like if you're explaining it to a six-year-old, right? Because I know the book is meant for... 10th grade or above, but a six-year-old, how would you describe depression? Well, it's interesting to say that because I start off with a short story with a child watching their parent go through symptoms. So if I can make a caveat to a short... Okay. Okay. All right. Um, (laughs) The caveat I want to give to this speaks to how much more common a concern depression is. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, When the book 2013 was written, uh, evidence-based research was clear in describing the fact that depression, by the year 2020, depression would be the second most debilitating disease worldwide, Mm. second only to heart disease. Wow. Statistically, it happened before 2020. And whereas there's depression, there's suicide. Mm. But it also impacts the quality of life to the point that it is probably one of the greatest financial disruptors uh, in the nation in terms of health costs. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking at someone who is depressed, you're looking at someone who uh, is experiencing um, a mood change that uh, impacts their ability to sleep well, either sleep too much or not at all, eat well, they either eat too much or not at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are feeling often sad for reasons that they cannot account for, maybe even crying for reasons they cannot account for, um, over a period of two weeks. When I would work with clients, I would try to find ways to kind of share an an, an empathetic understanding. And one of the things that seemed to resonate was describing it like, it's like you're physically 
you've stepped in quicksand. Mm -hmm. And no matter what you do to remove yourself, you just feel like you're going deeper and deeper. Mm -hmm. Even to the point when someone throws you a lifeline, there is a fear of grabbing that lifeline for fear that any movement, even for help, will only take you deeper and deeper. It won't really Mm -hmm. be of any substantial consequence toward relieving your being stuck in this state Mm. of being. Um, So you're looking at, you know, fatigue, loss of energy. You're looking at feelings of worthlessness, um, excessive, inappropriate guilt. You're looking at all of the moods that basically place you in a state of just being totally debilitated. There's nothing that you can do that will allow you to have any kind of quality life experience. Mm. Okay, now, another piece to this is it may begin as um, some kind of um, physical illness. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, for example, in the book, I talk about people who may think they're depressed and haven't had a physical, and they may find that they have a thyroid disorder. Mm -hmm. Because some of the same symptoms associated with thyroid disorders are very similar to those of depression. But then I've talked with people who have chronic illness or people who have had um, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder or people who have suffered anxiety over an extensive period of time. It's not uncommon or brain injury, brain trauma. You know, So there are a number of different things that could be happening that might exhibit these symptoms that we often associate with depression. The key piece is the duration of time Mm -hmm. um, and the emotional affect. The other thing is it may manifest itself differently depending upon age as well, Mm -hmm. meaning that since children are not able to communicate as effectively as adults cognitively, it may manifest itself as uh, Dr. Nathan Mazel was talking about in a somatic Mm -hmm. kind of way. So a person may talk more about, and this is a cultural phenomenon too, may talk more about um, muscle and, and muscle aches and pains, mm-hmm. you know, in areas for which a physical exam may show there is no reason for that to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, it may manifest itself in terms of, uh, for a child, tantrum-like behaviors or adolescent-aggressive-like behaviors or bullying behaviors. So it can manifest itself in different ways. And so a licensed professional would be able to, through talk therapy, kind of ascertain some of what's going on, understanding that there is a biological component Mm -hmm. to depressive symptoms. Yeah, we're we're kind of getting into some of the causes, right? So we're... That, that was more than a sentence, doctor, because yeah, I know you want to be thorough. I want you to, you know. Okay, doc, Dr. MJ, you have a sentence. Yeah. but My sentence was um, extreme sadness. Extreme, extreme sadness. sadness. Well, not a sentence, but two words. Yeah. <laughs> it a, a For a layman's sentence. terms of depression. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so if we're seeing that it has all of these impacts on our physical bodies, I think that's what the both of you were bringing up, mm-hmm. that these physical manifestations, emotional manifestations, and other aspects, and even relational, right, in mm-hmm. terms terms of impacting the quality of your work, impacting the quality of your family dynamics um, and romantic relationships. But we're also tapping into some of the causes. So we are addressing what it looks like. But I want to hear from the two of you how you think um, it comes about. What causes depression? Um, Well, that was one of the reasons why there was an effort to expand the biology um, chapter on um, the second edition of the book. Because it's clear in terms of the work that um, 
I've been doing with um, Dr. Kimberly Bell, that you have to look at the impact of the neurons. Here's a way that I would describe it is that um, you are what you think. Um, how we think impacts how we feel. Um, it's, it, it's, it's really great when you have someone who can have an authentic and genuine relationship with you, and through that relationship, their conversation says something that makes you feel good about yourself. Okay? Those words, that relationship, that bond, has an impact on you not only psychologically, but also in terms of a neurochemical change. Okay, because pretty much we are a biological being. Mm -hmm. Well, when we talk about the brain, there are trillions upon trillions of nerve cells. And what's interesting is that unlike, let's say, if I bump my arm on this table and I feel a pain, those nerves that are sending the message of pain to be careful where I put my arm on this table are all connected. Mm -hmm. They go from my arm up to my shoulder, up to my neck, to my brain, and say, you know, pay more attention to where you're moving your arm. Mm -hmm. um, interestingly, though, that's a pretty long pathway to take. So in the brain, it's much more sophisticated. The idea in the brain is that, well, rather than having this long pathway we're going to create shorter pathways, and we're going to create pathways that will ensure that in less than a second, information can go to our physiological self so that we can survive in the most optimal way. Mm -hmm. Okay. That also includes how we respond emotionally mm -hmm. to things that are happening in our life. And so when there is a balance with our biological self, then someone can say and do things and we can feel good about it. We can say and do things, we can feel good about it. But when there is an imbalance, someone can say or do things or we can say and do things that we should feel good about and we don't. Mm. So in that context, when there's an imbalance, what science has come to understand is that that imbalance is produced chemically, mm -hmm. biochemically. It's produced in what we refer to as the... Um, neuron by way of what are referred to as the neurotransmitters. In other words, there is a space between the nerves in the brain. And some people say, well, how is that faster? It's faster because there are neurotransmitters that can be sent across that space that can send messages that impact how we respond to our environment. Okay. What we've come to understand in science is that there are certain um, chemicals that impact mood. Um, so I give this example uh, for people who like to exercise or people who like to run or swim or jog or dance or, you know, when they're doing that and they're feeling good, they are getting this dopamine. It's kind of like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, you know, they're moving around, you know. So if people can't see me moving around, I'm moving my shoulders, you know, you get all excited about it. Related to those um, are serotonin, norepinephrine, these are just two, that also impact our mood. When there is an imbalance of those neurotransmitters going from one neuron to the other neuron, then we see it by having this change that is reflected in the symptoms that we discussed earlier. 
you know, not enjoying the things that you used to enjoy, mm-hmm. and so forth, and so on. So from a biological perspective, it's important to begin to look at that and to understand that um, there are things that we can do in addition to talk therapy, and that's where you get into medications. Let's say, for example, one of the medications that people um, are prescribed are considered serotonin reuptake inhibitors. In other Mm -hmm. words, the way I describe this at a very layman's level for someone who would be young is that, let's say the the pathway of the neurotransmitters going from one nerve to the other, let's say they're going across this this, this highway, Mm -hmm. this bridge. It's a space, but they know where to go from neuron A to neuron B. But then sometimes the disruption is Rather than going from A to B, it'll leave the port of A heading to the port of B, but make a U-turn and go back. Mm. So the serotonin reuptake inhibitors are like a traffic cop saying, no, don't turn around, no U-turns here, you got to go across. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, it again, it works on serotonin. When it tries to make a U-turn, that's reuptake. The medication inhibits that serotonin reuptake inhibitor so that it can go where it's supposed to, mm-hmm. to sustain the balance mm-hmm. that impacts us emotionally. Because new pathways are created that impact the mood that will allow us to have the optimal lifestyle that enhances our ability to have um, authentic relationships, to do the work that we need to do, so forth and so on. So in addition to that, there are other treatment approaches that, um, well, we're still just getting into the causes, right? Yeah, yeah these are just still the yeah, causes. Yeah, and so right? I'm just even thinking a lot of times when we hear people talk about depression, they, they might say that person has a chemical imbalance. But what you're saying is pretty true in terms of the chemicals of the brain called neurotransmitters are not properly balanced in, um, in terms of the passage. And so the treatment then is to address the balance. And that's where psychiatrists would come in to be able to prescribe a selective yeah. serotonin reuptake inhibitor. So I'm just even thinking chemical. So it starts at a very cellular, chemical level. It, it so. goes all the way down to the genetic level. Mm-hmm. But, but I want to be clear about this. One of the things that I stress, and uh, Dr. Nathalie Mazzell, you can share, and also Dr. Mm-hmm. Vimlisak, I'm sitting with two clinicians, <laughs> is that when we're working with our clients, we talk with them about quality of life. So we're not just speaking to them about uh, recommending treatments in terms of medication and talk therapy and uh, strengthening the social connections with their family, making sure it's culturally relevant, and then looking at other complementary treatment approaches. We're talking about what are you doing to take care of yourself? Mm-hmm. You know, nutritionally, mm-hmm. what are you doing in terms of getting rest? What are you doing in terms of exercise? We're looking at all of those factors. So I'm adding to your point that um, it, it's, it's, under, it's teaching the client to see the whole self. Mm-hmm. So it's not one thing that causes depression. Right. It's a combination mm-hmm. of factors that impact at the biological level clearly mm-hmm. and as above, so below, meaning that as we work to create balance with the biological, it really can be sustained if we create balance with the whole body. Mm-hmm. And I also wanted to add um, some causes of depression or hormones. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that has something to do with um, how persons, um, how depressive um, symptoms um, come about mm-hmm. um, more or less, especially depending on the age of a woman. Mm-hmm. And also I think uh, 
some of the other causes of depression could be the weather, mm. light. Yeah. Uh, and one of the most recent areas of research that I have, starting in 2011, that I developed an interest in talking with psychologists about at conferences annually is the impact of the epigenome, meaning that we have to then look at generational treatment strategies if we're talking about the whole, because if it impacts even at the genetic level, we know that when we are seeing people, we need that history, because if in them in the clients sharing their history, there is a family history of depression, we know that there is an increased likelihood that they might be experiencing the same. So what I've learned about the epigenome is that there are chemical tags on top of our DNA that act almost like on-off switches, depending upon health factors and depending upon social factors at critical developmental periods. And so the extent to which we can help clients understand how to maintain a balance with the whole self we can begin to engage in strategies that will eventually impact generational treatment. So it's not to say that uh, we change the DNA as much as we change the access that disease may have to that person's DNA by helping them to sustain a healthy genome, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. epigenome. Okay, this, this is, this is um, some real science to it in terms of looking forward to what's actually in this book. So we break down um, all these different causes for depression from this genetic level to nutrition, hormones, um, the chemicals of the brain. And so I'm mindful that there's a whole bunch of stuff in this book. Dr. Cook, can you give us a little bit of the outline of this book so that when people purchase this book, um, they can know what to look forward to? Yeah. So the simplest outlines, since I've been wordy, I'll try not to be so much now, is the book starts off by telling a short story. You know, what happens when my mind gets sick? It's about this girl who's um, seeing her parent experience symptoms of depression and speaking with other kids in the neighborhood to find out what to do and then participating in the treatment process because in many ways the goal was to try to alleviate the stigma often associated with depression. The next part, defining depression, defining it from a Western medical model perspective, but also looking at it from a global perspective. The next was beginning to look at the biology of depression, where a lot of the things we've just talked about are detailed. And then we began to get into treatment approaches, again, going from, you know, A to Z, from the Western medical model to looking at it from a more worldly perspective, to take into consideration cultural factors, spiritual factors, everything that you can think about, we, we, we look at. Uh, and then, interestingly enough, the way the book ends is by creating a very in-depth appendices, a, a section that provides resources. So the second edition uh, is amply titled, uh, All About Depression, Issues, Treatment, and Resources. And by that, the resources are um, national resources, resources that provide uh, information for anyone who is interested, regardless of one's ethnicity and culture. So we're looking at uh, issues that impact not only the African-American community, but the um, uh, Asian-American Pacific Islanders, Latinx or Hispanic Americans, Native Americans, and immigrant populations. So it really is all about depression, covering those groups and providing 
resources for populations within these groups as well. So whether you're looking at LGBTQ, whether you're looking at gender, whether you're looking at age, everybody has resources, whether you're looking at populations of people who are veterans. We provide resources for every and all to be able to access on a national level and on a regional level, coast to coast, border to border, to provide them with some support. So it covers all about depression. All about depression. All about depression. Yes, it is. Yeah, it sounds like this book um, is ideal for clinicians, um, mental health providers, but it also sounds like it's important for consumers in terms of being informed about your options, um, how depression works, how it manifests, what are the biological components, mm-hmm. what are the treatment options, but also, again, emphasizing the resources that to really have choice and control in how you feel better. Exactly. So it sounds like it's also good for students. So for people really um, coming into this information for the first time, but also people who have been working for years to have a book or resource that they can use for themselves, assign in a class, or even assign to a client to read. Right. So um, if I may add another yeah. piece, just interrupt. So, so one of the things that was uh, important for me is I'm always learning. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that, for example, looking at, the work of Dr. Afia Mbalashaka mm-hmm. on hair, which gets into um, how one perceives one's body. That's mm-hmm. a part of one's body. Mm-hmm. Um, how does one learn to love oneself, respect oneself, accept oneself, and how that in and of itself can have a profound impact on the thoughts one has that can influence mood. Um, talking with uh, Professor Michelle Levere, uh, I, in fact, I'd heard her in a presentation talk about the impact of clinical social work and social work systems. And I felt like, okay, this is an area that really should be included if it's all about depression. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, after listening to and working with my colleague, both in uh, conference presentations and the like, Nathalie Mazel, it's it's recognizing the role of rehabilitation. There was a a time where I was trying to help someone who was... um, looking for services to help them get on their feet. They were depressed, they needed to get um, medication, they needed treatment. And a colleague said, oh, you need to contact a friend of mine at a rehabilitation agency. I was like, whoa, here I am working with people in the area and I never asked that question. (laughs) So um, I decided that Natalie Mazel would be a great person here at the institution to have as a resource, and then her colleague at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore mm-hmm. to come in and, and, and add a piece as well, because these are the resources that become critical to helping people realize that there is a way to get out of that quicksand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you definitely put together an all-star team, you know, myself included. Yeah, well, yeah. But I do <laughs> want to hear from Dr. Mazel Johnson. Can you tell us a little bit about your contributions to the book? Oh, yeah. So I was working with um, uh, Dr. William Talley, and the, the particular chapter is Depression and Psychiatric Rehabilitation. So this part in the chapters are about psychiatric rehab counselors, how that's part of a segment of the rehabilitation profession. Mm-hmm. So how working with persons who are diagnosed with depression and you're working with them as a VR vocational rehabilitation counselor and how you are um, mitigating the needs of what they need dealing with depression and trying to find employment mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. So what it is, we want to train these particular 
um, professionals in the psychiatric rehab as well as being in the rehab counseling profession. So there was about the knowledge and skills and abilities of the psych rehab professional and allowing them to practice in the rehab setting but focus more on depression or um, different other mental illness but more on focusing on depression. Mm-hmm. When I had a conversation with Matthew about this, what excited me was not just looking at what to do but how to sustain what is learned. It's like you can fish for somebody or you could teach somebody how to do it for themselves. And it seems like that conversation led me to believe that adding this piece would provide that connection. Mm-hmm. You know, this is how you can sustain this in terms of sustaining the quality of life in your work world, in your relationships, in whatever resources you need if you find yourself from time to time um, losing ground in any particular area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and I appreciate the the invitation that you had for me to be able to make um, some contributions in terms of my research. It's interesting because I guess I'm a cusp millennial. I always get confused <laughs> if I'm a cusp millennial or not. But my contributions to the book were about online options. That for my private practice, I give people the option to do virtual sessions. People love using their phones. Why not do therapy through your phone as well? And so I do make some telehealth um, contributions to the book. And then in terms of me having more of a clinical community approach to mental health and wellness, and especially in treating depression, I do talk about psychotherapy. So since this podcast is about psychotherapy, I actually outline in the book how barbers and stylists can be informed about depression, right? In terms of thinking about the psychological implications of depression and how that impacts your physical appearance. Barbers and stylists can notice changes um, in terms of weight loss, weight gain, hopefully they're not pointing that out, the thinning of their hair, or just even their overall motivation and self-care and pleasure. I believe that they are therapists, right? Barbers and beauticians actually have more contact with the community than mental health professionals often. And so it can even be seen through the hair. Again, when we're very stressed or even depressed, our hair can change. And those observations can be relevant and important. And this book really does offer barbers and beauticians the opportunity to be informed about what depression is, the treatment options and resources that they can utilize with the customers and clients that are coming into that space. And so in the book, it actually talks about group therapy options that can be co-facilitated by therapists and um, hair care professionals. So this is definitely an opportunity where this book actually is catered towards community um, lay health advisors. So that lay health advisor model is that anyone can assist and support someone who's having a depressive episode. Oftentimes for depression, there is an element of social social isolation, right? People withdraw. And so this is an opportunity for us all to be informed about how to support someone who's having a depressive episode. So this book has like layers and speaks to so many different audiences. I'd be remiss if I left off the contributions of Dr. Schuyler Webb. Um, The piece that I was really impressed with was his ability to really speak to those who have served in the military and the families of those uh, who have served in the military in the context of understanding depression in the military context, looking at clusters of symptoms, intrusive symptoms, looking at prevention and treatment with regards to military approaches and strategies and the resources that are available there because it's not uncommon that 
having served in the armed forces, you are pretty much relying on the resources that they have, but the resources they have may not provide some of the in-depth awareness that comes from the information he shared in this book. So for even those who have served or are serving, who experience challenges emotionally with their mood that we might classify as depression, this book is a great resource for them as well to be able to look at what's going on, take it with them to their sessions, have a conversation with their practitioner to determine what steps they may want to take next. And I also want to add at the end of many of the chapters are activities and exercises Mm. so that if people are not clear where they stand, they have an opportunity to kind of pull together from their own experience what's going on and determine from that what strategies they may want to pursue. Well, Dr. Cook, thank you so much for organizing us to be able to contribute to this book. Um, There are really experts in the field and the subject who've shared their hearts and souls into this book. So I appreciate both of you joining me today, and I can see why there's such a need for this book. Um, But I do want to ask, how can our listeners purchase a copy of this book? Well... Um, there are two ways. Uh, one way, of course, is always you can go to uh, the publishing company of the book, which is Kindle Hunt Publishing Company, and their um, site for more information is um, he.kendallhunt, K-E-N-D-A-L-L-H-U-N-T dot com slash cook, C-O-O-K-E underscore Web, W-E-B-B. Again, H-E dot Kendallhunt.com slash cook underscore web. And that will be one place, as this is an ebook. book uh, we decided to do an e-book so that you can have instant access. You could have it on your uh, cell phone. You could have it on your tablet. You could have it on your laptop. You could have it on your computer. Uh, you can put it on multiple devices so you can carry it with you and you don't have to worry about, you know, getting wet in the rain with the new phones. <laughs> you know, whether you just don't want to drop it in the water. But the point is, is that we did it this way to also ensure that the cost was reasonable. Uh, so you'll find that the cost is very reasonable. Other than this, uh, sometimes people will try to also go to um, Amazon and sites like that to get it. You want to make sure, though, that you're looking at the second edition which was uh, copyright 2019. And it says, again, all about depression, issues, treatment, and resources, second edition, uh, Benson Cook, Skylar Webb, Kimberly Bell, Afia Ambalashaka, Michelle Levere, William Talley, and Nathalie Mazel Johnson. So that's where you definitely want to mm-hmm. go to get it. And if you have any other questions, you know, contact the co-author, Dr. Afia Ambalashaka. Well, Dr. Cook, so how can listeners get in contact with you? How can they keep up with your projects? Do you have oh, okay. a website? Yeah. Do you have a social media or email that you would like to share with people who maybe want to invite you to speak with their groups about depression? Yeah, I don't. Well, Dr. Fia says she's going to hook me up. Oh, yeah, okay. Yes, you do have an Instagram. All right, I will post right, that. I will right, post right. that in the okay. notes of the show. All right. Um, but other than that, you can do my email. My email is B, like in boy. C-O-O-K-E at UDC.edu. Again, bcook at UDC.edu. And I'll be more than happy to respond back 
to anyone who might be interested in having uh, further conversation, additional conversation regarding uh, this or any of the other projects. Um, this is my fifth textbook. Mm -hmm. so. All right, list, list the names of the other books. People want to know more. Tell them the books, Dr. Cook. Okay, so here it goes. Um, the books are Personal Empowerment for People of Color, Keys to Success in Higher Education. That was published in 2001. Uh, All About Depression, first edition. Uh, that was published in um, 2013. Um, Selected Aspects of Mentoring, um, Advice, Challenges, and Approaches, written in 2018. Then you have Socioeconomic and Educational Factors Impacting American Political Systems, 2017. And then, of course, um, All About Depression, second edition, Issues, Treatment, and Resources, written in 2019. Nice. Nice. Congrats. Yeah, I want, I want to be you when I grow up. Um, and Dr. Mizell Johnson, how can people um, get in contact with you or know about projects that you're working on? Is there anything you want the listeners to know about? Are you seeing clients or tell us about that? Yes, I, I am seeing clients. So you can contact me at Dr. Nathalie Mizell at gmail.com. And that's D R. N-A-T-H-A-L-I-E-M-I-Z-E-L-L-E -L -L -E at gmail.com. <laughs> Great. And as always, you can follow the latest psychotherapy information through our website, um, psychotherapy.org and Instagram handle at psychotherapy. And of course, if you love this podcast or if you felt like it was so informative, I encourage you to share this with other people, people who are negotiating depression in this moment, people that you think should know about the signs, symptoms, and treatment and resources of depression. Please share, 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 and subscribe to this podcast so you can continue to build your own knowledge base. But in closing, let's remember that a path to healthy hair is having strong roots. Thank you so much. <laughs>